Recording in progress. Good evening. I'd like to call to order the Shoreline Planning Commission public hearing for Thursday, November 2nd, 2023. Our first item is roll call. Ms. Hoxma, will you call roll? Commissioner Brinson. Here. Commissioner Galuska. Present. Commissioner Callahan. Here. Commissioner Lynn. Here. Chair Sager. Here. And Commissioner Mosier and Vice Chair Walmachong Jay are um, absent with notice. Great. Thank you. Uh, next, we have approval of the agenda. Does anybody wish to make any changes to the agenda? Great. Uh, approval of the minutes from October 19th. Does anybody have any changes to those? Great, those are approved. Uh, that brings us to general public comment. Ms. Hoxma, do we have anybody signed up for general public comment tonight? Yes, I do. Um, I have uh, Josh Friedman. Um, Josh, go ahead. Um, please state your um, city of residence and your name. Thank you. Hi there, my name is Josh Friedman and I live in Seattle. I'm an attorney at the Hillis Clark Law Firm and I represent Black Brandt LLC, which owns the site on Fifth Avenue Northeast in Shoreline that is commonly known as the Metro Access site. My client is a joint venture between two Alaska Native corporations. This joint venture manages real estate investments on behalf of 50,000 indigenous shareholder members, including children, elderly, and the infirm. This site is held as an investment for the benefit of those members, meaning that rents paid by the Metro Access Program directly support education, welfare, cultural programs, burial assistance, and other needs of tribal members. In addition to that economic interest, my client has been proud to support the Metro Access Program's transit services to Shoreline's disabled community members. We did not receive notice of the opportunity to comment at your October 19th work session. So we wanted to speak up today and clarify some critical things that were not mentioned. First, we wanted to inform you that the city's position on what it is now calling fleet bases is controversial. We do not agree that these draft regulations would apply to the operations on our site, which were legally permitted and have operated under those valid permits for 10 years. The city is taking steps that fly in the face of these valid permits, and those actions have resulted in real financial harm to our client and its members. We believe the city's actions are harmful to the shoreline community as well. Specifically, the city has issued a 30-day order that King County Metro's operator must terminate this site's operations in support of the Metro Access Program. We have appealed that order because we do not believe the city's position is correct. Metro has also appealed that order because it does not have an alternative site from which to run the program. Metro has written that the city's course of action here, and I quote, has placed thousands of Metro riders in shoreline and its vicinity in jeopardy of limited, reduced, or no services, unquote. The three minutes of public comment do not allow me to share a full background, but on behalf of the tribal partnership that owns this site 
and is proud to support transit services for the disabled community in Shoreline and beyond. I implore the commission to make sure it is getting the whole story before supporting the city's draft code changes. Please make sure you understand the real risk of this proposal disrupting critical transit services for folks with disabilities, hurting the local drivers who provide those services, and hurting tribal members. We look forward to speaking with you further at the November 15th hearing. Thank you. Is there anybody else, Ms. Hoeksma? I have no one for the general public comment. Okay, thank you. Uh, that brings us to our public hearing for tonight. Tonight's public hearing is regarding the ground floor commercial development code amendments. The purpose for the hearing is to obtain public testimony and for the commission to develop a recommendation to forward to city council on this topic. Comments are limited to three minutes per person testifying or five minutes for someone representing the official position of an agency or city recognized organization. When the clerk calls your name for either in-person or remote comment, please state your name and city of residence for the record before you begin. The process for the public hearing is as follows. The city staff will present Pardon me, the city will present its staff report. The commission will be given an opportunity to ask clarifying questions. Individuals will be given an opportunity to testify. After all testimony has been received, the commission will begin deliberation and may ask questions of the staff or individuals who testified. The commission will vote and then close the public hearing. I now wish to open the public hearing. All right, thank you. So um, we're here this evening to present the, uh, the staff recommendation on the ground floor commercial development code amendments. So I'm joined here once again by Nate Dom, our economic development program manager. So I'm going to uh, breeze through these slides pretty quickly. Um, a lot of it will be repeat from the last couple of meetings, but um, for anyone new viewing um, this evening or, or tuned in. So um, let's see, the, uh, so staff were here on September 21st uh, in which we presented several topics and planning commission uh, gave direction to staff that informed the first draft of development code amendments that we presented on November, or October 19th rather. Um, and these are really about replacing uh, or building on the 2020 development regulations that were adopted for Ridgecrest and North City, the neighborhood centers there that were viewed as a pilot program. Um, and some example images of what we're talking about when we're talking about ground floor commercial. So these are a few uh, local mixed use building types where you've got ground floor or non-residential use space on, um, on the, the ground floor um, and then the apartment or residential units above. So in uh, June of this year, the city council adopted interim regulations and directed uh, staff and planning commission to uh, bring, or staff rather to bring forward to planning commission uh, a package of amendments to study and, and to examine in the development of permanent regulations. And so these interim regulations 
uh, really model in many ways the existing regs that apply currently in North City and in Ridgecrest. So as I mentioned, um, the Planning Commission discussion on October 19th, um, there were kind of two key things that came out of that. One, uh, the Commission directed staff to expand the draft amendments to um, go uh, or to apply the primary commercial corridors to all arterial street types. So that includes um, collector uh, and as well as the principal and minor arterials. And then also um, we, I think we clarified the second point here at the meeting, but we um, just confirmed that an administrative design review process would be adequate to depart from um, some of the ground floor commercial space provisions that would maybe give a little more flexibility in instances where there would be a mid-block connection. I'm going to go through these summary uh, slides quickly here, but uh, these next several slides really summarize what the draft amendments do. And so first, uh, we have the established in the use table that there's index criteria that apply to new multifamily development in the NB, the MB, um, as well as the CB, and then the MUR 70, and the TC town center zones one, two, and three. Um, we've added, this is the first of, um, I think, three new changes that you'll notice in the packet. And really, there's nothing substantive. It's just as we're continuing to look at this and you know, more eyes are on it, there's more cross-references and kind of clean up things. And so one is we caught that there was a reference to live work in another use chart. So we clarified just by adding a cross-reference. Um, so this was one new change that we just wanted to highlight. And then uh, new here, similarly, um, where we're expanding based off of the commission's direction that that primary frontage includes the collector arterials. And so that's um, included in, within the index criteria here. And then also there was a figure that hadn't been picked up that we need to delete out. It's a figure pointing the provisions to Ridgecrest and North City. So we're proposing that that figure just be stricken in, in its entirety and then we'll simply reference based off of the street type where these provisions would apply. Um, but everything here stays as it was previously. So we've changed the terminology from commercial to be more inclusive to talk about non-residential spaces. Uh, there's no parking requirement for any of these uh, non-residential uses that would be allowed. Uh, there's a five-year sunset provision for uh, the live-work spaces. I was just going to say that, I, I, that when I was looking at this again just before we started, mm -hmm. I, I, I was slightly confused. And I, by reading through the whole thing, disallow parking, what that means is commercial parking operation wouldn't be a non-residential use. For, as you go oh, a little yes, further down, you, yeah. so parking is allowed. A restaurant tour may, or you know, the developer may put in a restaurant and plenty of parking for the restaurant. But as you read a little further down, we're no longer requiring that parking. So, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Yep. Um, yeah, the exemption for the uh, parking for the uh, the ground floor commercial versus not allowing the parking. 
Um, we continue to have the height bonus for the ground floor commercial space. So uh, five foot just kind of right off the base and then 10 feet for restaurant space, 20 feet for grocery space, and then also a hardscape bonus of 5% up to 95%. And then next, uh, the dimensional standard table, we're adding specific requirements and then cleaning, some, uh, cleaning up some of the redundancies and things on that section. Similarly here, let's see, and then the site design. Um, so this is where we get into the specifics of uh, the, essentially the design of the space. And so the, the frontage, the facade transparency requirement uh, as it relates to the street type. So 60% of the facade needs to be transparent on the principal, minor, and collector arterials, and then 45% on all other streets. We have some exception language for narrower lots that would allow a little more flexibility for uh, the garage entrances and driveways and things like that. And then the building design, 75% of is required um, to be a ground floor commercial space, again, abutting that, those primary street types. Again, an exception for the narrow, narrow lots. Um, we're no longer allowing the fitness center uh, as it is related to the, uh, the residential community to count for ground floor commercial space. Um, we've tweaked the commercial space depth requirements a little bit where uh, there's now a minimum of 15, but still requiring the 30 foot average. Um, and then also allow the public space when it's designed and integrated to be a, a kind of a feature with the ground floor commercial area that that can be counted toward that. And then last here, the minimum ceiling height um, is goes from 18 feet to 15 feet. Um, we looked at these maps at your last meeting, but just to illustrate, so the, uh, the diagonal hatching here would illustrate kind of the secondary streets, and then the cross hatch illustrates the primary street types. And um, in your last packet, we had the whole series of maps as it relates to all of the different zones throughout the city. So as you know, uh, there's specific decision criteria in the municipal code whenever we're considering action on specific development code amendments. And so there's a more thorough analysis and discussion of the criteria as it relates to the proposed amendments in your staff report. Uh, but bottom line is based off of the staff analysis, the proposed amendments would comply with the decision criteria and the staff recommendation is for the Planning Commission to recommend that the council, uh, or to recommend the commission forward to council for approval, um, uh, the development code amendments as attached in your staff report. And if uh, commission acts this evening to advance their recommendation, we're tentatively scheduled uh, for November 20th council meeting to, uh, for them to consider the commission's recommendation. 
uh, the, and then December 11th is a potential action date for the council. And then uh, the interim regulations are set to expire as it happens on December 13th. So um, if either commission doesn't issue a recommendation tonight or if council feels that they, you know, there's more work to be done or something once it gets to them, those interim provisions would potentially need to be um, extended a little further. So that concludes the staff presentation at this point, and um, we'll turn it back over to the commission to open it up for public comment. Thank you. Um, all right, before we move on, does anybody have any clarifying questions they'd like to ask? Nothing specific, just clarifying? No? Okay, we're good. Um, that brings us to the portion where individuals have an opportunity to testify. Ms. Hoxma, do we have anybody signed up for testimony? Yes, and go ahead and come up to the podium and then um, say your name and city of residence. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Bob Gregg. I live in Edmonds. have for about 40 years. My kids all went to school in Shoreline. So, and I grew up in Lake Forest Park, so I'm local, not quite in city limits, but I know Shoreline very well. Um, I've also been a, a multifamily and mixed-use uh, commercial ground floor developer since the mid-80s. And you are looking at a unicorn in the residential development community. I'm the only one I know that actually likes commercial. I'm the only one I know that actually <laughs> does more commercial than code often requires. Um, and I want to give just a couple brief examples, should fit within my three minutes. Uh, in the mid to late 80s, we developed the 100-unit mixed-use project at Green Lake, which was the first in that district with Seattle's new zoning, which is mirroring your MUR-70 zoning. And um, um, we, we did 100 units over an entire ground floor of commercial. And um, uh, coming... 35 years later, we just completed a 135-unit project in Kirkland, uh, which had similar uh, regulations to yours, um, and we did more commercial there than the code actually required. Um, I've done four projects in downtown Edmonds. Uh, two are mixed-use commercial, um, and two are purely commercial. So I just wanted to give that background that I'm not here to object to the commercial. A lot of residential builders don't like it, don't understand it, can't make it work, but we've been quite successful with it. However, the common denominators of all the projects I just uh, mentioned is that uh, they're on um, uh, very prime locations, which is primarily um, a busy street. Not busy like Aurora, but Green Lake is one block off of Green Lake itself. The uh, commercial um, anchor tenant, you know, is Roadrunner Sports, <laughs> a running shoe company, mm -hmm. and it's across from Green Lake Cycle, so there's just lots of activity there, and uh, that was leased before it was even finished being built. It's never had a day of vacancy. Um, the Kirkland project is on 85th, uh, which is the major arterial connecting uh, Kirkland and Redmond. I think it's the only major street that connects the two, um, and uh, uh, and so getting into the area that I want to talk about tonight is the MUR-70, 
which is north of the 145th Street Station, east of I-5, and west of 5th. And um, it's big enough to not be considered a spot zone, but it does have something you know unique that um, a little tiny tweak in what is being recommended, I think, will go a long ways actually towards achieving your goals as well. And, um, uh, and the, the tweak is that um, on, uh, uh, th these are not only not primary or secondary arterials, they're not even collector arterials. Fifth Avenue probably is. Whether it is or isn't, I'd put commercial there on the ground floor because there's enough traffic there to see the visibility. But 149th, 151st, 152nd, those are all side streets. Those are all back streets. Now, I'm not even going to complain about commercial on, on those. Other than 40 of the 45 lots that are there, there's 20 houses on each of those streets, 10 on each side of the road. Of those 45 lots, 40 of them are 60 feet wide. With the five-foot side yard setbacks, you've got a 50-foot building. With a 23-foot drive aisle to get into the building for parking, you're about seven feet. And I, I want to refute the idea that, well, they should just assemble properties then. The first building to be built under your code and bringing residents to the area and bringing um, affordable housing units is a project we're just finishing on 152nd. So it's first project permitted, first project built, and in a few weeks we'll be renting space in it. Um, and that's on a 60-foot wide lot. And uh, except for the corner lots, which can be serviced from two streets, third and or fifth, if you allow curb cuts off of fifth, which I'm not sure you actually will. But let's just stick with the 40 lots that are 60 feet wide. Um, so what I'm proposing to fix this is to You've already acknowledged that the non-collector um, streets need a little bit of help. So instead of being 75%, it's 60%. But 60% of 50 feet is 30. And 30 plus 23 is 53. Not counting the width of the walls. That's how you get to the 7 feet. So the only tweak I'm asking, suggesting, recommending, is that the um, commercial space um, at 60% be limited to building facades that are 100 feet. Not the lots, but the building facade. So you have enough room for a 23-foot required drive aisle and some commercial space and a lobby. And that way, if the people that own those lots, and uh, almost all of them are still owned by a single owner, if an owner wants to develop that lot uh, or sell it to us, to develop or someone like us, um, then they could do that. Otherwise, they're going to have to assemble properties to be able to even build. And I don't think that is what your goal was. Thank you. Excuse me, Mr. Gregg. I believe that your three minutes yeah. are up. Thank you. But I appreciate all your comments. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, oh, great. Thank you. All right, this is the point where we deliberate and ask questions. If you have questions of the staff or uh, Mr. Gregg, anybody? Okay, 
I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, we've been working on this, and you guys have done a great job. Yes, <laughs> Commissioner Callahan. Um, so I'd, I'd just like to ask staff, do you have an opinion on um, what the um, person here commented on um, as far as, um, you know, would any of your um, processes allow for that flexibility or is it as he suggests? Uh, yeah, I was trying to to jot notes as, as he was speaking just with the different numbers, um, but I, I think so one, it's important to remember with all of these provisions, we still have administrative flexibility through the administrative design review where we can grant departures and things based off of different site constraints and things. Um, we do have the, the provision um, related to narrower lots, um, although I'm, based off of what he was saying, I'm not sure it would entirely capture that, but uh, we still, yeah, regardless, have some flexibility, so it's not always going to be black and white and, um, you know, and one size fits all. So there's some ability to look at the, the circumstances. Okay. <laughs> yes, sir, please. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, the main reason I would like that codified is we've been through design review and you guys are great and uh, it's it's worked. But moving forward, by the time we get to design review, we're several hundred thousand dollars into design and planning. We just want to have a little certainty on the single lots. If they're double lots, we're going to just go 100% with your code, double or triple. But if they're uh, single lots, I would just like to know before we spend $200,000 that we don't catch the ADR guy on a grumpy day, poor lady. <laughs> Um, so I'm, in the written thing, I mean, I think I'm changing two words, <laughs> and uh, that would just give us some clarity to go forward on 60 foot wide single lots. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Lynn. Did you have something? I I just um, I just uh, from what I remember, uh, it says. 100 feet is that's the the property uh, length in as written right now, and then I think what I heard is requesting the buildable area, uh, the narrow the definition the to be. Is yeah, the building versus the property. <laughs> um, uh, but then I also heard that the, we, we also have the pre-application um, meeting that would allow uh, the, like, once uh, um, the applicant, that they have the opportunity to, to seek out if it is allowed to, like, have some flexibility, and that is, so, so basically, my understanding is currently we have, like the city has the, the uh, flexibility of accommodating this type of condition. That's what I heard. Yes. Okay. Correct. Yes. Right. Thank you. 
Anybody else? Okay. Then I believe it's time that we um, make a motion and vote. Uh, I, I would motion that the Planning Commission uh, issue a recommendation to City Council to approve the proposed ground floor commercial development code amendments as written in attachment A of the staff report dated November 2nd, 2023, and for staff to forward that recommendation of approval to the City Council. Uh, do we have a second? I'll second. Thank you. Um, we will vote. Ms. Hoaxma, will you call roll? Vote. Unless he wants to speak to his motion, maybe. Uh, thank you. I would just uh, want to thank staff. Um, you know, through the last couple of meetings, we've kind of really walked through this code, um, and there's you know a fair amount of changes throughout. But I, we had a good job of presenting back the changes to us uh, throughout the whole thing. So, um, but other than that, I think uh, it's you know it's kind of a short discussion today because we we have had those discussions in prior meetings. Exactly. Thank you, Commissioner Callahan. Do you have anything? Okay. Okay. Now we are ready to vote. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Galuska. Aye. Commissioner Brinson. Aye. Commissioner Callahan. Aye. Chair Sager. Aye. And Commissioner Lynn. Aye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, staff. You guys have been great. Um, I now wish to close the public hearing and we will move on to unfinished business. Is there any unfinished business tonight? How about new business? Anybody? Uh, I have one um, request, I think is, uh, can we have a Forecrest update, um, either at a meeting or even written? Um, in the near future. Yeah, what was the second, you said either in a meeting or, or uh, written, you said? Or written, yes. Written. Yeah, just to just to kind of get um, some, what's been going on lately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we could we could see if it would be something we could maybe even provide a brief presentation on um, potentially at the next meeting. I think, you know, it'd be fairly brief and high level, but uh, yeah, just to give you all some context. Great. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, do we have any reports or announcements? Oh. And what is our agenda for the next meeting? Um, so next meeting, going from memory here, um, I believe it's the public hearing for the transit base amendment, um, as well as the PROSA element, the parks, recreation, open space, and arts element. So that's the uh, this year's comprehensive plan docket. It's just that one item. And um, I believe we have a director's report teed up as well. And so um, to perhaps if, if it, is acceptable we could incorporate the update on the fur crest uh, what's going on there just as part of the larger director's report okay okay excellent thank you all right uh, with that we are adjourned thank you everybody